This is a podcast from the Refugee Study Centre. To learn more about our work, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk. here at RSC and she's still a visiting lecturer here. Um, Elena's a very prolific researcher who's done many very important projects, most recently uh, South-South Humanitarianism and Faith-Based Humanitarianism, both big projects with a really significant impact in the field. Uh, she's recently published with uh, Gil Losher and Nan Rascona and others the OUP Handbook on Refugee and Forced Migration Studies. She has another book forthcoming with Routledge on South-South Humanitarianism. And this evening she'll be talking about yet another book that she's recently published um, on the ideal refugees, gender, Islam and the Sarawian politics of survival. So welcome, Linda. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Kirsten. And it's... Oh, hi, Linda. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Kirsten. Thank you all for making it today on a slightly unusual evening. I'm not quite sure what's happening with the weather, obviously. Um, so, yes, I'm going to be talking about part of my research um, regarding the Sahrawi refugee camps. And I think this is a particularly appropriate place to, um, to offer this seminar and to have written this book, effectively, since although the Sahrawi case is relatively unknown in the UK public arena, for example, it has played a pivotal role in the Refugee Studies Centre. It is effectively um, as a result of Barbara's visit to the camps um, in the 1980s that she developed um, Imposing Aid, which, as you know, is a seminal piece which really developed a critique of the humanitarian aid system by virtue of demonstrating that dependency upon aid is not inevitable, but rather refugee camps, such as the Sahrawi refugee camps, demonstrate another way of um, negotiating aid and of um, establishing a form of self-sufficiency and self-management in spite of dependence upon assistance being provided. And that book, in turn, obviously played a key role um, in the development of of the Refugee Studies Centre as as a whole. So it's a particularly appropriate um, location for for the study to have taken place, and my research builds upon a long history, in fact, of research into the Sahrawi within the RSC, Barbara's research, subsequent research into Sahrawi youth and children, a number of our visiting fellows have worked in the Western Sahara or in the Sahrawi refugee camps, and a number of our master's students have also gone on to work with UNHCR um, in Tinduf, for example. So there's, there's a long history of, of this connection. And today I'm going to offer quite a critical approach to research into and policy and practice regarding the Sahrawi refugee camps. And I'm going to look at the ways in which um, the refugees themselves, the Sahrawi refugees and their political representatives, present themselves to international actors to academics, to policymakers, to practitioners, to journalists, etc., and how they have done this through the prism of the ideal refugees. So I'll look at how, why, and to what effect this representation has been presented and, and reproduced, and I'll therefore be engaging both with um, Sahrawi refugees' lived experiences of, um, of displacement and of encampment, but also the nature of um, refugee humanitarian um, aid relationships and the ways in which these are negotiated in a context context of um, dependence upon externally externally provided assistance. So this does, as um, 
as Kirsten indicated, this does relate to my broader interest in the nature of humanitarianism and the ways in which um, different refugee groups interact with different humanitarian audiences. And in fact, we all know that refugees and other forcibly displaced people are frequently examined and analysed by external observers, be these policymakers, governments, um, academics or NGO workers, etc. But I would argue that these observations are in fact multidirectional and that refugees and their political representatives often identify and act in response to the frameworks and the priorities which they identify as being held by aid providers and by um, analysts alike for a number of reasons. And so I'll be looking at how and why Sahrawi refugees um, present themselves as the ideal refugees in, in this context. Now I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the background to the um, context known as the Sahrawi um, refugee camps. Um, the Sahrawi refugee camps are the UNHCR's second longest running caseload and um, the exodus which led to the establishment of the refugee camps resulted as um, following the Western Sahara having been a former Spanish colony and never actually having been decolonized. It remains um, Africa's at last colony, so it's Africa's last colony. It has um, a pending quest for self-determination and the United Nations is overseeing the situation um, or the conflict in the Western Sahara with a view to establishing a referendum for self-determination to establish if the Sahrawi wish to um, become part of Morocco, which considers the Western Sahara to be its southern provinces, whether it wants to have a form of regional autonomy or whether it wants to have the establishment of an independent state. So there was an armed conflict until 1991 between Morocco, Mauritania and the Polisario Front, which is the political representative body of the population which had formerly been based in the Western Sahara and which in 1975 um, fled the, um, the occupation of the territory and moved to the refugee camps in southwest Algeria where they've been based since then. And it's estimated that approximately 155 to 165,000 people have been based in the refugee camps in southwest Algeria since the 1970s. So since 1991 there's been a situation of neither peace nor war um, as, a, as a result of the establishment of a ceasefire between Morocco and the Polisario Front and there has been an ongoing protracted um, attempt to secure a solution or a resolution to this particular um, conflict situation. Now, the mass exodus which led to the establishment of the Sahrawi refugee camps was not as chaotic, perhaps, as, as many would say, in spite of napalm and phosphate bombs having been used um, throughout the conflict to displace this population. While this was obviously um, a highly disorganised process in many regards, it was accompanied by the establishment and the strengthening of the Polisario Front as not only the liberation movement, but as subsequently the state in exile, which it was established um, to run the refugee camps themselves. So when Spain eventually withdrew from the territory in 1976 from the Western Sahara and um, informally handed over control to the Moroccan authorities, the Sahrawi, the, the day after the Spanish withdrawal, the Sahrawi established a state in exile known as the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. And this state, um, or state in exile, has in fact got full diplomatic relations with 70 countries around the world, is a full member of the African Union and is in many regards a state actor in spite of not being recognised recognised as such by the, the world as a whole. Um, you can see the distribution of the camps here. There's an administrative centre known as Rabuni, which is where the, the camp's main ministries are based. There's the Ministry of Education, of Health, the Ministry of, um, of all sorts of, well, pretty much everything that you could uh, imagine being part of a state system. Um, then there are four main camps. I even have said 
uh, Smyrna and Dakhla, which parallel the main cities which were based in the Western Sahara itself. And there are also a number of schools um, or school camps, such as the 12th of October um, school and also the 27th of February school, which is where I conducted a great deal of my research. And this is effectively um, known as the women's camp um, in, in this particular context. As you can see from this environment, um, these are desert-based camps with very limited access to water, and the refugee camps um, and the refugee population is entirely dependent upon externally provided assistance, including water, um, food, etc. And there is a long distance between the camps and the nearest Algerian town, which is a military um, airbase um, known as Tindouf which is just here, um, which means that access to and from the camps is controlled um, through this military entry point. Now, a large proportion of camps around the world, as we know, are run by organisations and agencies such as the United Nations High Commission of Refugees or a consortia of um, NGOs, etc. And yet these camps are run um, and managed by the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic and the different NGOs which support it. There is minimal presence of international actors such as the UNHCR, WFP, etc., in spite of their providing the majority of the assistance to the camps. So agencies will deliver food and um, medical aid, for example, to this will be collected by the Sahrawi Red Crescent and then will be distributed by women um, within each of the camps and, um, and ensuring that there's a, an equitable distribution of the assistance as it arrives. That's not to say, however, that the camps are entirely run alone or by themselves, since they do this through the range of the assistance of a variety of transnational programmes, um, including civil society, humanitarianism, and in particular Spanish civil society, which I'll turn to later, but also a number of transnational education <coughs> programmes, which led to the development of my multi-sided ethnography, um, which this, um, this book is, is based upon. And these transnational connections include this very sophisticated education programme, which has allowed or required children as young as six to leave their refugee camp homes and their families to complete primary, secondary and tertiary level education um, outside of the camps, whether this is further afield within Algeria itself or in Cuba, for example, where approximately 4,000 Sahrawi have studied um, since the 1970s in places formerly such as Syria and Libya, um, also as far afield as South Africa in addition to Spain. So the idea with these six-plus-year-old um, children leaving the camps is that they would complete their educations outside of the camps and then return to be able to work as professionals within the camps to maintain the self-sufficiency and the self-management of, of the camps and of the nationalist project which they are home to. And that's a dynamic that I explore in more detail in the second book that, um, that Kirsten referred to, which looks at South-South educational migration and humanitarianism, comparing the experiences of Sahrawis and of Palestinians who have left their home camps to study in Cuba and in Libya, looking at their experiences of studying abroad and then of returning um, to their home camps. Now that particular multi-sided ethnography was also developed in order to overcome a range of methodological and access problems um, which arise when attempting to conduct research in the Sahrawi refugee camps, which is to say that many researchers in the past have been expelled from the camps for dealing with or exploring so-called sensitive issues, which the Sahrawi and the Polisario have identified as being private matters which should not be um, addressed by external actors. This includes tribal identity and the notion of smuggling of aid outside of the camps and a number of the cases that I'll refer to um, subsequently. 
So throughout my research in Algeria, in Cuba, in South Africa, in Syria and in Spain, I identified a range of means through which sympathy or solidarity um, for the Sahrawi was actually accrued um, from the perspective of external um, actors. And I call this in my work the official discourse about the Sahrawi refugee camps. And in spite of the difficulties of conducting long-term fieldwork within the camps, or perhaps precisely because of this, a range of terms are repeatedly used to describe the reality of, of life in the refugee camps by academics, policymakers, journalists, etc. So Lippert and San Martin, for example, both in the 1980s and in the 2000s, um, cite a Red Cross um, practitioner, a field representative, who in the 1980s denominated the Sahrawi the most unusual refugees by virtue of their uncorrupt social organisation, their solidarity and the cooperation amongst themselves. Barbara, in her work, has referred to them as um, the good refugees against which other refugees can be compared. So she refers to um, discussing um, with a group of Sudanese refugees the extent to which the Sahrawi were good refugees who wouldn't complain about the conditions in which they were situated and the, the, the humanitarian crisis which they were um, negotiating. Brazier, more recently, um, discusses or describes them as models of efficient local government and even goes as far as to denominate them the best-run refugee camps in the world. The World Food Programme, in turn, asserts that school attendance level is almost 100% amongst refugee children, leading to the assertion that they have the highest literacy rate in Africa, as declared by Mundy, etc. And within this broader set of um, descriptions or discourse, uh, discursive um, constructs which I've explored, um, Sahrawi women's position also emerged as being key to this official discourse. And this is particularly um, on the basis of my research um, regarding Sahrawi's relationship with Western audiences. And uh, we can discuss afterwards the different terms of reference which are used when interacting with formerly the Syrian government or with the Cuban government, etc. But these are the terms that are repeatedly um, made by Western academics and Western policymakers. Um, and this is a, what I would call a, a, a range of mechanisms which form an archive of knowledge following um, Foucault um, about the camps. And we can see that there are a range of mechanisms which have created and established and reproduced this particular depiction of the camps as a space which is characterised by gender equality, women's empowerment and this is a recurrent theme, a recurrent um, feature of accounts of life in, in the camps. So Moles, who was um, an Oxfam representative in the 1980s um, says in very strong terms, this is most, the most fundamentally balanced society I've ever come across in terms of the relationships between men and women. Barbara again refers to the, the Sahrawi context as a 20th century democratic nation, women's equality being one of the strongest features of their social organisation. And again, um, subsequently in, in an interview with um, Doreen Indra, um, women's equality was the most dominant theme of life in the Sahrawi camps. And indeed, Sahrawi refugee women's active roles in the camps as qualified doctors and nurses, for example, who studied in Cuba, as engineers and as employees within a number of ministries, is very important. And they are active members in the National Union of Sahrawi Women, for example, and in the, um, the Sahrawi government more broadly. And these, the centrality of women is systematically asserted throughout visual and textual representations of the camps. And these images have captured the attention of many academics and um, many visitors to the camps more broadly, and the camps, by the way, are Algeria's number one tourist destination, uh, receiving the largest number of visits um, in, in that country. 
it isn't exactly a particularly large overall number, but it's, it's the most popular destination in, in that regard. And we see that the solidarity events, which are constantly uh, arranged by the Polisario whenever visitors do come to the camps, always position women very centrally in, in these um, different um, exercises. And Saharawi women are primordial figures. They're almost omnipresent within the camps, not as victims, but as empowered, liberated and active agents. And in many regards, they overshadow their male compatriots. And we can see this from a number of parades which were organised. This is um, a parade which included a number of female doctors who studied in Cuba, for example. Um, And in fact, Sahrawi women constitute about 80% of all health workers in the camps and 60% of both medical and paramedical staff and camp teachers. So they play a key role in those um, aspects. And in common with other nationalist movements, Sahrawi Sahrawi women are also represented as the bearers of Sahrawi culture and tradition, in addition to being portrayed as members of the military and otherwise actively engaged in the national struggle for independence. So they play a very important role in um, understandings of life in the camp and in everyday realities in the camps, of course. And this um, centrality has even led organisations such as the World Food Programme to assert that Sahrawi society is primarily matriarchal and the women are totally empowered. Now these are terms which are not being understood or used in a nuanced fashion, but represent in a very clear way this understanding that the society is gender equal and has um, facilitated the empowerment of women. And that relates very clearly to Moles's um, declaration, as I quoted earlier from the Oxfam <coughs> officer, and that this isn't the most fundamentally balanced society I've ever come across. And these claims and these images are particularly interesting and particularly um, noteworthy precisely because we assume that refugee camps are characterised by violence. We assume that they are patriarchal structures which disempower rather than empower women. And we also typically imagine that women are helpless victims of war and conflict um, and of of, uh, forced displacement, of course. And this image has further been um, institutionalised by virtue of the United Nations Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, for example, declaring that the National Union for Sahrawi Women is an ideal partner precisely by virtue of their success in gender mainstreaming and um, uh, mainstreaming gender equality and empowering Sahrawi women within the institution and also within the broader structures within the camps. So we see that there are numerous bases for this common knowledge or this common understanding of life in the camps, and women's participation in the camps should certainly be highlighted. Um, It is understandable that they are so prevalent in parades and different representations because they do play a very significant role in the camps. And the discussion I'm presenting here by by, by no means aims to undermine the centrality of women in the camps because they have, on a daily basis, played a pivotal role in establishing and in maintaining the camps. And this was even more so the case when the armed conflict was ongoing until the 1990s, in which men, as a majority, were um, at the military front, whereas women were were running the camps effectively in isolation. But these um, observations often take place during visits to the camps, as I indicated earlier, where visitors are typically accompanied by a guide or a monitor um, who explains the situation in the camps in a range of European languages, drawing on the skills that they have um, accrued by virtue of studying abroad, um, alongside officials who take them to the um, so-called tourist destinations within the camps, to the National Parliament, to the um, desert gardens, which are miracles in in the desert, etc., to the War Museum, to the administrative capital of etc., to the schools, to the women's union, to the numerous locations which are truly spectacular and very impressive structures which are very well managed within the camps. Visitors in turn often write about their experiences in the camp, explaining what they've seen and 
typically extolling the successes of the management of, of the Polisario and of the Sahrawi more broadly. And importantly, during these camp visits, um, visitors tend to be exposed to particular claims regarding life in the camps, and the content of which is reflected in a number of interviews which um, I conducted throughout my research and which are solidified by other accounts elsewhere. So this is an extract from an interview which I conducted in Damascus in 2006 um, with the um, Sahrawi Arab Democratic Re- um, Republic's representative to the Middle East while he was still based in Damascus, which obviously he isn't now. And this um, kind of claim is paralleled by a wide range of publications which make reference to the Polisario and um, Sadr's conceptualization of the position of Sahrawi women. So he indicates, and he starts by saying, there are many differences between Sahrawi and Syrian societies. Sahrawi women have more freedom he starts by comparing with Jordan. In Jordan, where honour killings and sexual abuse prevail, and in Spain, where violence against women is common, Sahrawi women do not suffer from domestic violence in the camps. If a Sahrawi woman were um, abused, she would divorce her husband immediately. Um, Sahrawi women do not accept polygamy. Sahrawi women um, can demand a divorce, which is very common. There is therefore a total rejection of violence against women. Further reflecting on this distance between the Sahrawi um, Arab Democratic Republic's perspective um, regarding Sahrawi women and other Arab women, the Sadr Minister of Culture and Sport, Mariam Salik, is quoted in Mexico City's learning, um, leading newspaper as asking herself if Arab women exist. In the Arab world, the feminism which has developed until now lacks depth. There is nothing serious. If they wanted to recognise us, they would have to admit that what we have achieved in the camps is a treasure, is a joya. And the, further, the former representative um, of Polisario to France and the UK and the former permanent Southern representative at the UN also compares Sahrawi women with the rest of the Arab and, woman, uh, and Muslim world. And in his 2001 book, he writes that Sahrawi women are not marginalised. And he continues by saying, there is a space for everyone, especially for women. Women have a, pri- a privileged place. And this is clearly different from the position of their sisters in the rest of the Arab and Muslim world. In contrast with what you find in the Arab and Muslim um, and African societies, Sahrawi women plays an important role in both the productive economic sector and in the political and administrative structures of the camps. So in these representations of life in the camps, Sahrawi women are presented as liberated and empowered, as secular and and modern. But the implicit message, and often explicit message as well, is that other Arab and Muslim women embody the opposite of these virtues and successes. And the terms Arab and Muslim are used interchangeably in a way that um, hides the heterogeneity of the Arab world on the one hand, and also the differences which exist between Muslim women both inside and outside of the Arab world. And it's not the aim of my presentation today to claim that Sahrawi women are free or are empowered or are not, um, but rather to examine um, a range of ways in which this is a representation um, which is tied with what I call the politics of survival, the Sahrawi politics of survival. And elsewhere I discuss the extent to which this discourse is constitutive of many elements within the camps, and I tie um, the representation into the way in which policies and programmes have been developed in the camps um, in ways which marginalise and exclude a diversity of actors. So today what I'm going to focus on is why the Polisario has focused so intently on depicting the camps as an ideal space for female empowerment and for gender equality, and why they have done done so by distancing the Sahrawi self from the Muslim Middle East.
And I argue that the creation, representation and popular acceptance of Sahrawi women and men as the ideal refugees, and more specifically of Sahrawi society as the most fundamentally balanced society ever come across, again to quote Moles, is an indispensable part of the foundation which the entire solidarity network which maintains the camps is actually based. And this is what I'm referring to as the notion of the politics of survival. So I argue that the gynocentric representation of camp life is intimately related to securing and maintaining humanitarian and political support from diverse international actors, including civil society networks such as Spanish civil society groups, which are central to the survival of the camps. Now, Spanish civil society, which is the former colonial power, plays a very significant role in maintaining the camps in different aspects. It runs a number of key solidarity networks. So, for example, 10,000 Sahrawi refugee children leave the camps every year and are hosted on an informal basis by Spanish families through a programme known as Vacaciones en Bath, or Holidays in Peace, which Gina Crivello from Young Lives and I have written about in the past. And thousands of Spaniards, including those families which host um, Sahrawi children every summer, in turn visit the camps, visit the children that they have hosted, stay with the families who, um, whose children they've hosted, and take money, food, medicine, clothes, etc. To, to camp residents. In turn, these Solidarios um, and those who don't visit as well lobby the Spanish government to ensure that the political quest for self-determination remains on the international agenda, that there is still a push for a referendum for self-determination to take place in spite of the um, mission for the establishment of a referendum really having had no success since the 1990s. There are also a number of regional and local organisations which run significant development um, programmes in these camps that organise awareness raising campaigns and fundraising campaigns and ensure that the protracted refugee situation remains on, uh, on the political radar. And although humanitarian assistance is provided quantitatively um, in, in its majority by organisations such as UNHCR and WFP, uh, WFP um, the Polisario um, Front and refugees themselves actually prioritise the assistance which is prov- provided by civil society groups. It actually provides um, a particular foundation and a particular attachment to what, is, what I refer to as intimate aid as, a, as opposed to the official aid which is provided by humanitarian organisations. And it's this intimate relationship which develops through the fostering programs in particular, which is something that I've been particularly interested in in my research. And in a context in which individuals, families, communities and entire nationalist projects depend upon the provision of externally externally provided assistance and these solidarity networks, I argue that ensuring the sympathy of these external observers surpasses meeting a physical need for survival and actually becomes part of the politics of survival more broadly. And in a letter to the director of El País, Spain's um, leading newspaper, in 2002, a leading Spanish Solidario refers to the basis of these groups' solidarity with the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic as follows. So those of us who have always defended the legitimacy of the Sahrawi cause in their fight for for their legitimate independence do so because we have always defended the democratic basis upon which the Sadr's constitution is founded and upon the values of equality between all Sahrawi men and women. Support for the Sahrawi cause is therefore identified as being both justifiable and necessary when the camps are perceived to be a location for democracy, but also home to a society characterised by gender equality. And importantly, the international incident which led to Fermin actually writing this letter to El Pais demonstrates the extent to which cases which contradict this internationally accepted script about Sahrawi women not only threaten to undermine the veracity of that discourse or that representational strategy, but in fact threaten to undermine the entire solidarity framework upon which the camps and the Sahrawi national project are actually based. 
and the case of Aisha Mbarak, a young Sahrawi woman who had spent seven years living in Spain from the age of 12 before being abducted, in inverted commas, by her biological family in the camps, caused Spanish outrage and resulted in Spanish solidarity groups, including that represented by Fermin, menacing the Sahrawi uh, representatives, Polisario, that unless Aisha was allowed to return to Spain to her Spanish family, they would stop campaigning for and supporting the Sahrawi cause. So when discussing Aisha's case, and subsequently the cases of Fatimetu and of Huria and of Maimuna in 2008 and 2009, and of uh, Mayuba, whose case is currently ongoing, the Spanish media, civil society, solidarity groups and politicians all centralised gendered ideas, gendered discourses and gendered representations of life in the camps to argue and to highlight the need for these girls to be released um, from their abduction. And the cases that I discuss um, here, um, Aisha, Fatimetu, and Hurria in particular, really highlight the gendered nature of Spanish conceptualizations of the Sahrawi nation on the one hand, but also the gendered basis of the solidarity nature, uh, the solidarity network, and the justifiable and defendable nature of solidarity for the, for the, uh, for the Sahrawi. And ultimately, Sahrawi families refused to allow their daughters um, aged between um, 15 and 19, in the cases of Hurria and Fatima Tunaisha, to return to Spain to their foster families. And the girls' Spanish foster families attempted to gain support from several fronts, and they were highly successful in Spain in mobilising support on a, on a political level. Um, as well as through civil society. So 17,000 signatures were collected from Spanish citizens in the city of Leon alone, and they all supported Aisha's demand to return to Spain. The relevant debates and the legal arguments reached not only the Spanish um, press, um, but also higher political institutions such as the Spanish Congress, the Foreign Ministry and the Senate. And several high-ranking politicians, including the then Vice President of the Spanish Senate, Alfredo Prada, offered both Hurria and um, Aisha their support, and the Senate voted in June 2002 in support of Aisha's return to Spain. And the primary discourse which was used in these cases by politicians and also by um, the Spanish foster families was that the human rights, and in particular the women's rights, um, were being abused, that the girls' rights to freedom of movement, to education and to health were being negated in the camps, and that therefore they should be liberated by their families. And many journalists and friends of the Sahara, who were the representatives of the solidarity groups, answered angrily, stressing that these are the general circumstances experienced by Sahara refugees, and that this is characteristic of the larger protracted refugee situation, rather than something which should be um, addressed on a private level. And they stated that the Spanish host families were damaging the Sahrawi cause by virtue of establishing this as a major public issue. And they said that this was a private matter which should be addressed by families, between families, host families and um, biological families. And indeed, even those politicians who were supporting the cases of these individual girls constantly reasserted their support for the Polisario or for the Sadr more broadly and for the collective quest for self-determination which is still ongoing. They constantly asserted that the right to self-determination was being um, protected in these contexts. And yet some of the solidarity NGOs which formed the, back, the backbone of Spanish civil society, humanitarian and political support for the Sahrawi people also attempted to pressure the Polisario Front into convincing the girls' birth parents to allow them to leave the camps and to return to Spain. And the weight of pressure applied by NGOs is particularly great in the case of the Sahrawi refugee camps, given that these NGOs not only coordinate the Holidays and Peace program for up to 10,000 children a year, but also send very substantial amounts of humanitarian um, assistance to families in the camps. 
to the form taken by one attempt to pressure the Polisario to liberate another girl, this is uh, the case of Fatimetu, pushes the delicate nature of solidarity to the forefront. So this is the Riojan Community Solidarity Group, which sent a letter to the Sahrawi Ministry of Public Health based in the camps in 2001, following Fatimetu's retention in uh, April of that year. And the NGO stresses that obviously these incidents, these abductions, can affect future solidarity relations of the whole autonomous community like that of the Rioja with the Sahara. The news about the girls' retention or abduction has become a matter of public opinion, of public concern, and it potentially ends up affecting everyone, even their perception of the causes and their desire to collaborate with them. The NGO continues by stating its desire to continue working with and for the Polisadi and the Sahrawi people to maintain trust in the organisation and the families of the camps. But they both implicitly and explicitly threaten to withdraw support through this letter and through other means. And this is a threat which this week, for example, was actually implemented and enacted by the Diputación Valenciana in the case of Mayuba, which I referred to earlier, which is ongoing. So I argue that the specific refugee basis of the Polisario Sadr project demands that we analyse the official discourse not just as propaganda, as some journalists and academics have reported, but rather as a phenomenon which is intimately related both to physical and to political survival. The official discourse has not been designed, I would argue, to mislead either the Western audience or camp residents per se, as the term propaganda might suggest, but rather it literally ensures the survival of camps, both as the location of the Sahrawi National Project and as a location of residents for the Sahrawi refugee population. And the significance of the solidarity network has therefore encouraged Sahrawi refugees themselves to practice a continued and continual force of, uh, form of compliance and of complacency regarding the terms with which the, situa- the situation of the camp is described to outside visitors. So returning to the notion of observation, um, refugees and their representatives are habitually under the close scrutiny of um, foreign visitors and funders in camps, and aid is often conditional or tied upon certain provisos, as we know. And yet this case demonstrates the extent to which such such observations are multidirectional. Firstly, the Sahrawi camps and their inhabitants are simultaneously observed by their own representatives, by the Polisario and Sadr, but also by non-Sahrawi NGOs and INGOs, by journalists, academics and solidarity groups, included those whom I quoted on earlier slides. Secondly, the Polisario is in turn observed, scrutinised, questioned, both by other Sahrawis, who are as a whole limited in their ability to actually challenge the ways in which they are represented uh, or the way in which the camps are run, and also by different actors and agencies in the international community. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly for today's presentation, I suggest that the priorities, the beliefs and the assumptions of aid providers and of political supporters have themselves been identified and noted by the Polisario and Sadr, who have accordingly designed a specific international public relations strategy which reflects their observations, which attempts to tie into these um, preferred terms, including those which are most popular within the broader framework of um, good governance. So NGOs, solidarity groups, and I would argue also academics, habitually differentiate between groups which are or are not worthy of support or even attention. And their continued engagement with a population often depends upon these external observers being convinced that their engagement is justifiable and uh, and acceptable. And within the broader social movements literature, we see that Jasper, for example, indicates that broader political contexts often influence a particular identity which is projected by social and political movements to their audiences. And Clifford Bob reminds us that movements must often alter characteristics to meet the expectations of patrons who often act as auditors, observing both the implementation of their projects and what I'm here calling the justifiability of their engagement. 
And it's within this framework of ensuring the perception of a justifiable and acceptable solidarity that the Polisario engages with Spanish civil society and institutions representing their refugee camps and their refugee community accordingly. However, having produced and reproduced an image of being fundamentally the most balanced society ever come across and of being the ideal refugees, conditional solidarity networks have simultaneously accepted and perpetuated this image and these networks are therefore at risk whenever cases come to light which contradict that which has been taken for granted and which has come to be um, common knowledge about the camps. So, by means of conclusion, leaving lots of time for question and answer, um, I therefore argue that the gendered, discursive and solidarity systems currently in place are neither inevitable nor sustainable, and that multiple dangers and indeed ethical issues arise in such a situation. A particular risk, for example, is that of the audience, in this case Spanish civil society and solidarity actors, including academics who support the Sahrawi cause, not only directing aid, to borrow from Barbara's work, but also directing rhetoric, directing the discourse with which refugees represent themselves. And in so doing, also reproducing systems of othering and of marginalisation, both inside and outside of the camps. And in this case, the homogenised and essentialised representation of other Arab and Muslim women in accounts of the Sahara refugee camps must be highlighted. So in my broader research, I um, propose a particular urgency of both the observed and their observers critically approaching the terms of reference and the terms of engagement which exist between refugees and Western observers, but also between refugees, their representatives, and those who aim to either support um, by the provision of humanitarian assistance or to document and analyse the complex realities of the Sahara refugee camps and of their inhabitants. Thank you. about the different ways you can stay updated and engaged with the work of the Refugee Study Centre, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk forward slash connect.